Good evening, everyone. I was going to say hi, Mom, because my mom's sitting out there. but <laughs> That might not have made sense to the people that are watching at home. Um, well, glad to be here tonight. Looks like our numbers are down a little bit, but I'm very glad for all of you that have come. Uh, we appreciate that and look forward to a good time of teaching and then uh, Q&A at the end if you want to stick around for that. Um, we look forward to that as well. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, we are still in the book of 1 John in chapter 3, and you can turn there. Last week, uh, we looked at verses 4 through 10 in chapter 3, and John's teaching about the difference between those who practice sinning and lawlessness and those who practice righteousness. And remember that to practice here is talking about a person's way of life. Uh, their daily pattern of living, okay? Um, John made these distinctions because what he's doing is making clear to the people what a Christian looks like and what a non-Christian looks like. In other words, who's saved and who is not saved. And the church doesn't need to know this because of people who are not believers and who don't even claim to be believers. The church needs to know this because of people who claim to be believers and are not. That is what John is doing here. And the church belongs to Christ, who is the head. And there are reasons, we mentioned last week, that we need to be aware of the deception that a person can be a Christian and continue to practice sinning. Okay, that's, that's a contradiction. Individually, we do not want to be deceived by this because we could go on thinking that we're saved when we're not, and uh, which leaves us under condemnation. Okay, that's individually. It is also important that we know when others are deceived by this so that we can lovingly confront them with the truth of the word of God so they can come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And the other reason that we talked about the need to not only be aware of this deception, uh, but to act on it was to keep the church pure, to remove evil from the church, to protect the reputation of Christ's body and the gospel from mockery because of hypocritical people, okay? So John made it clear that the person who practices righteousness is born of God, but the one who practices sinning and lawlessness is of the devil because that is what the devil has been doing from the beginning. After stating that Anyone not practicing righteousness is not of God. John ended verse 10 last week with a little uh, add-on. He said, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Okay, in other words, uh, one who does not love his brother is also not saved. Okay, so this rolls right into our verses for tonight, and we continue on with the theme of love for the brethren, 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 as proof of salvation, okay? Now, you should have uh, just a little feeling of deja vu there because this is not the first time that we've heard John talk about love for the brothers in this letter, okay? But here he's, he's going to expand our understanding of what loving others looks like and what it entails. And this will probably have to be done over um, a couple of weeks, but we'll get started with it tonight. And so look with me at our text in 1 John chapter 3, uh, verses 11 through 15. 
And so let's read that out, and then we'll have a word of prayer. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the folks that are here and, and those that may be watching at home. We praise you for this time, Lord, that we can come together and read your word, to hear your word, to learn from your word. Lord, as your spirit teaches us, we thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word. Uh, and we thank you, Lord, that as we just sang a bit ago, that we can, we can take it to you in prayer, Lord, all these things. So as you, through your spirit, convict tonight, Lord, of sin, of unrighteousness, Father, that you would work in our hearts as you see fit. We thank you, Father, for eternal life in Jesus Christ. We thank you for that gift that you have given by grace through faith, Lord. We're so eternally grateful, more than we could ever express, and we praise you for it. Thank you for your son and his sacrifice on the cross. In his name we pray, amen. All right, so John starts here. We're in verse 11. John starts here with the familiar phrase, or at least a form of a familiar phrase, when he says in verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. Okay, in chapter 1, verse 5, he mentioned the message that they had heard. In chapter 2, verse 24, he mentioned what they had heard from the beginning, and now here he mentions it again, but with the subject of love for one another attached to it. So the message that they had heard from the beginning was that we should love one another. Okay, he, he wrote about love for the brothers earlier, as I mentioned before. Also, when he called it, uh, if you remember back, he called it both an old commandment, command, commandment and a new commandment. Okay, in chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. And he's written about the message in several places and with different focuses. The message is not just one thing. Okay, the message that they have heard is not just one thing. When John writes about the message they have heard from the beginning, it is the message about Christ, which includes many things. It is the gospel message that includes man's sinfulness, the need for repentance and faith, the need for obedience to Christ in righteous living according to his word, and also love for one another. Yes, this is love for one another, meaning everyone, but specifically here for other Christians. Okay, to make his point, <clears throat> John goes on to give an example from the Old Testament. And it's the only Old Testament reference he includes in his entire letter here. And we, what he does to explain the love he's talking about uh, is to go back to the beginning of creation. And so to get to the explanation of the love, he talks about sort of about the opposite of it for a while. Okay, and that brings us to verse 12 in 1 John chapter 3. Uh, 
which says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Okay, we see right away John is making a distinction. The message from the beginning was, love one another. So we should not be like Cain. Okay? But what John says here, if, if a person didn't know anything about Cain, okay, based on what he's saying here, if a person didn't know anything about Cain, they would still be able to determine he didn't love his brother. That's how he's using this here. To be like Cain is to not love your brother. That's his point. So how did, looking at that verse there, how did John identify Cain after he said not to be like him? How did he identify him? Okay. Okay, of the, he's of the evil one, right? He identified him with the evil one. And we'll come, to back, come back to that in a little bit. But, and like you said, as a murderer, he murdered his brother. And of course, the people John was writing to were well aware of Cain. Okay, that's why he didn't have to explain it any further. He, he didn't go on to explain who Cain was and all that. They, they knew this. Um, but let's look back, however, so we can refresh our recollection of the events in the lives of Cain and Abel. Uh, in your Bibles, we can turn back to Genesis chapter 4. Since John has taken us there, let's go look at it. Give ourselves a little context here. Genesis chapter 4, and we'll read verses 1 through 11. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain, a worker of the ground, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is, your, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Now that we've refreshed our recollection, let's look at what Cain's main problem was. John identified it when he said Cain was of the evil one. Hey, of course... That is a reference to the devil. Being of the devil made Cain a citizen of the kingdom of darkness. Okay, therefore, a worker of lawlessness. And when John used the word translated evil one there, he was identifying what, what has been described as a determined and aggressive and fervent evil that actively opposes good. 
That's, that's quite a, a definition there. It, this isn't just a bad thing. Okay? This can, can and does only lead to pulling others down into complete ruin. This is Satan. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Everyone who is of him is also a liar and a murderer. And we're not just talking about demons here. Okay, we can, our minds can kind of go there and we think, yeah, I agree, demons, they're of the devil. But we're talking about people. John is talking about people here. People who might look good or act good or, or do good, do nice things. They say they love God, etc. But we sort of kind of recoil a little bit at the idea of identifying other people like this, don't we? Or even ourselves. We have no problem with it if it's a, a mass murderer. But what about the sweet old lady down the street who's not born of God? Can we say she's of her father, the devil? Yeah. Until a person is born again, born of the spirit of God, they are not in God's kingdom. And there's only one other kingdom they could be in. And it's the same way that Jesus identified the scribes and Pharisees, as John detailed in his gospel. These were those in Jewish society who were looked upon as the best of the best, right? If anyone in the world were of God, it was them. And what, did, what did Jesus say in John 8, 42 through 44? Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Okay, these are the best of the best. These are the ones who are seen to be of God. And he says they're of their father, the devil. They did not love Christ. They did not love the followers of Christ. They rejected all of it, going about their own father's business uh, and straight to hell to join him forever. That's how Jesus is identifying them. And this is what it means to be of the evil one. A person does his works. And that was Cain. John says, don't be like Cain. So if I asked you to tell me what sin Cain was known for, what would you say? Murder? Yeah, murder. Murdering his brother, Abel. And John says as much right here in our passage in verse 12. But is that where his problem began? After asking the, the question that John asked, which is, and why did he murder him in our, in our passage? John gives the answer, so there's no confusion. Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So we see that Cain did commit the evil of murder, the evil physical act of murder, but John indicates that the murder was only the manifestation of evil deeds that were already done. You see that? Okay. He murdered Abel because he was already evil and had already done evil. The murder was just the next evil deed that follows in the practice of lawlessness. And this stemmed from Cain's deeds as they related to Abel's deeds. Okay, he, um, he did it, John says, because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. 
This is some other previous deed. So to what other previous deed is John referring? What do you think? Okay. Right, so he, he's going back to the offering. Both of them made an offering. Both of them offered a sacrifice to God. Okay? Cain's uh, offering to God was not accepted. Cain's offering to God was evil. Okay, and it's interesting that in the Genesis account that we, that we just read, we see that God had regard for Abel's offering, but no regard for Cain's offering. In other words, Abel's offering was acceptable and Cain's offering was not acceptable. But here John teaches us further about the nature of Cain's offering. It is not just that God had no regard for it. John says his deeds were evil. His offering to God was evil. Okay, so why was Cain's offering evil? Well, first of all, what did he offer? The, the first fruits of the ground, right? The, the fruit of his labor in the ground. So why was his offering evil? Okay, absolutely. First of all, his attitude, and we'll see that in a minute as compared to Abel. Why else? It certainly was not the best that he could have given him because he, he offered God the wrong thing. The, the fruit of the ground is not what God was looking for. God required a blood sacrifice, and Abel offered that. Abel offered a blood sacrifice. It wasn't just about their jobs. Abel had the sheep. Cain worked the ground. The, the offering that God called for was a blood sacrifice, and that's what Abel offered, and Cain didn't offer that. So we can look at the book of Hebrews in, in the Hall of Faith, it's sometimes called chapter 11, for further instruction on what motivated Abel's offering and why God accepted it. And this goes to what you were saying uh, about his attitude. In, in Hebrews 11 verse 4, it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Okay, so faith was, Abel came in faith. He came in an attitude of faith. And Abel's offering was given in faith. Therefore, he was commended as righteous by God. This was true worship. By faith, Abel was born of God. We can see there that he is identified with God because he offers God what God is looking for and what is true worship. And we should notice that Cain's original problem, as we said earlier, was that he was of the devil. Therefore, he did the works of the devil. Therefore, he offered God a false worship. Therefore, God rejected that false worship for the evil that it was. Therefore, Cain was angry. Therefore, Cain hated Abel and his righteous worship. Therefore, Cain murdered Abel, the one who belonged to God. Okay, there's a, a progression there. And what, what's in view here is the murder of the righteous because of the evil of the unrighteous. And murder has been described as the ultimate act of hate, and God described it as deserving of final and absolute justice. In Numbers 35, 19 through 21, it says, the avenger of blood shall himself put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. 
and if he pushed him out of hatred or hurled something at him, lying in wait so that he died, or in enmity struck him down with his hand so that he died, then he who struck the blow shall be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. And the word that, back in our passage in 1 John, the word that John used, translated murdered, is a very strong word. I mean, sometimes, I mean, murder, we know that's a strong word, but often when we look at the meaning of the original languages, it's got a quite a bit more depth to it. It's a, a really strong word there that describes violent death, and it was a word used to describe the killing of animals for sacrifice, and it means to butcher or slaughter. That's how, that's what was described in what, in Cain's killing of Abel, it was, it was a butchery or a slaughter. And Abel was a righteous man, practicing righteousness in his life, offering true and proper worship by faith toward God in the form of an acceptable sacrifice. He did not do anything to Cain. He, he was doing what he was supposed to do. Yet he was the target of Cain's wrath against um, righteousness. And this is what we see and what we can expect from the world of, of unbelievers. When Christians do what is right or stand for what is right in God's eyes, according to his word, the unrighteous will hate you for it. And don't we see that in our world all the time? It, it may, might not look like Cain killing Abel here, but many places in the world, that is what it looks like. People professing faith in Christ are being slaughtered. And, and you know, that. You didn't do anything against them. You did what was right before God, and they cannot stand it. They hate it. Practicing righteousness in this world puts a spotlight on the unrighteous deeds of others. Instead of repenting and turning to God, people will lash out at the righteous person. You know, for example, Herod did evil by marrying his brother's wife, and John the Baptist called him out on it. He pointed out the unrighteous nature of Herod's deeds. And Matthew 14, 3 through 5 says, For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to, be, to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. Okay, so he wanted to put John to death. He desired to kill him because he was calling him his deeds unrighteous and pointing out uh, what was righteous. He wanted to put him to death. And if you know the, how the story ends, the woman talks Herod into actually doing it, beheading John, taking his head, putting it on a platter, and giving it to her. Why? Because unrighteous people do not like to be ex uh, exposed as unrighteous. Okay, they actually desire to attack people who are righteous for being righteous. Even the secular world understands this concept, though they don't look at it as God does. They're not looking at it from a biblical standpoint, but they still get it, that, that unrighteousness doesn't like righteousness. For example, the women in my family, which is all there is in my family, by the way, besides me, uh, they like to watch this uh, movie, Cinderella, the, the live-action version of Cinderella. And uh, the wicked stepmother is extremely mean to Cinderella, the whole movie. And then she, she finds the glass slipper that Cinderella has hidden under the floorboards. And I don't know this because I watch it all the time. You know, I, 
I haven't seen it a thousand times. Uh, so she takes this slipper and smashes it in front of Cinderella and locks her in the attic so she'll not be able to try on the, the one le uh, glass slipper that's left um, so that the prince can see that it's her that uh, wore the slipper. But anyway, after her stepmother smashes this slipper in front of her, Cinderella asks her a question. And she says, why are you so cruel? To which the stepmother replies, and this is where this is revealed, even the secular world understands this. The stepmother replies, because you are young and innocent and good, and I, and she stops, she can't even finish her sentence there. Because that was her reason. You are young, you are innocent, you are good. You see, she didn't finish the sentence, but what she was going to do is compare herself to Cinderella. That's what she was doing in her mind, was comparing herself. Okay, herself being old and cruel and hateful and evil. And her own evil, hateful unrighteousness is constantly uncovered and put in the spotlight next to the goodness and kindness of another. Right? So hatred results, and it, and it comes from within, from within a person's heart. And Cain's problem was not that he physically murdered his brother. I mean, that is a problem. Okay? But, but that he was of the devil. And before he physically murdered his brother, he had already murdered him in his heart. Okay? He, he did not love his brother. It's exactly what Jesus described in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Okay, so John told us before about not loving the world or the things in the world, if you remember that, several weeks ago. Uh, and he gave reasons why. And let's look and see what um, James says about the same things and what results from loving the world. If you want to turn to the book of James and, and go to chapter 4. Verses 1 through 4. And James says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So friendship with the world is enmity with God. You, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. And that includes the unrighteous not having righteousness, so they murder. They don't have that. And you see, long before the physical act, human beings commit murder in their hearts in the form of unrighteous anger and hatred towards others. And this is played out quite viciously on Christians for their association with God. So verse 13 in our passage, 
Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. I think we are surprised. I think we are shocked sometimes at the hatred of the world towards, towards righteousness. But we shouldn't be. This is the way it is. It is to be expected. According to Jesus, in John 15, 18 and 19, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. See that if, if, if a person is unrighteous like the world, the world accepts them. But when a person is righteous because they are found to be in Christ, the world hates them. Je- that's how Jesus described it. That's how he described that it would be. And so as we look at our world, we can see that's true. We can absolutely see that's true. So with all of that, we've seen strong examples of what unbelievers look like because they hate God. They hate those who belong to him. We may not always be able to see it as that because of outward, the way someone appears outwardly or maybe some of their actions. And then John gives his next proof that someone is truly a Christian in verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So passing from death to life is John's way of saying here that someone has been born again. Okay, they were dead spiritually, now made alive through the new birth, or as we saw before, they were born of God. John's used a lot of different ways to describe someone who is saved. In other words, he's saying it, he said saying, you know that you or someone else, okay, we can know is saved because they love the brothers. That's his particular example here. That is, they love other Christians. Why is that important? Because if they were unrighteous unbelievers, they would not love righteousness. Christians love righteousness. The world does not. He says, whoever does not love abides in death. What what does that mean, that this person abides in death? Someone abides in death. Think about how he phrased that. Whoever does not love abides in death. Okay, they, they are still spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins. That is, the description of a person before they're saved is spiritual death. They are in a state of spiritual death. And that word abides there. They, they remain there. They're staying there. That's where they live if that makes sense, live in death, all right? They're, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. They have not been born again. That's what he means there by the, the person who does not love abides in death. They're where they always were. That's where they always have been, and that's where they're staying, okay? They're, they've not been born again. God's wrath remains on them in condemnation. They are not saved. What is the proof they're not saved? Verse 15 explains, and uh, it's right in line with what we've been looking at uh, tonight. In fact, this is John repeating what he's already said, only in stronger terms. In verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So we see that word abiding again. So those who don't love are abiding in death. Those who do love 
are abiding in him. So he's saying here again, the one that hates his brother is a murderer. And the, the clear focus is not on the physical act of murder. We should understand that. It's not on the physical act of murder, though that is bad. It's, but it's the murder of hatred. It's the murder of the heart. We might say it's, we might say it's just, just hatred or it's just anger. But is that how God sees it? No, that's not how God sees it. And John makes such a clear statement here that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In other words, no murderer has or will enter the kingdom of God. That is also true of everyone else, though. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's not an exhaustive list, by the way. But notice that John says, no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. He did not say no murderer can have eternal life abiding in him. And this is where the good news of the gospel comes in. This is where hope comes in. Right? Because that's Paul wrote, Paul wrote there about the unrighteous. That was on that list. The unrighteous not inheriting the kingdom of God. And that word covers everyone. Okay, you can have a list of all the specifics, but if you say the unrighteous, that's everyone. Okay, that, that covers everyone. Everyone is unrighteous. If if we're honest, even. Every one of us is a murderer. Okay, if you've ever been unrighteously angry at someone or hated someone, um, you are a murderer, according to Scripture. And that's scary. And so this is, I mean, Paul is, in that, those verses there, or I mean, John, um, in, those, in his verse there, is being very severe. So a question, how, how can a murderer or any of the other people on Paul's list, the, the unrighteous, how can they have eternal life abiding in them? How can the fact um, John expressed be overcome? He expressed that fact that no murderer will inherit the kingdom of God. How can that be overcome? Or can it? Okay. Right, through salvation, through faith in Christ, you receive the righteousness of Christ, right? Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. This is the good news, right? Yes, everyone is unrighteous. Everyone deserves hell. But through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, the acknowledgement of your sin and your need for a Savior, the new birth, salvation, passing from death to life, being born of God, these are all things that John has described to, to talk about salvation. We read verses 9 and 10 from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, that huge list. But if we had continued, Paul teaches that the very people he wrote, wrote to were on that list. But look how he described what God did for them. If we had read the next, very next verse in 1 Corinthians 6, which is verse 11, after he gives that, gives that big list, he says, And such were some of you. But what? But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and by the Spirit of our God. That that's the good news. Right? Again, as we've, we've been learning, John says we can know, okay, not only if we are Christians, but if others are Christians. We have to look for the marks of a true Christian. The repeated point tonight was that a Christian loves his brother. Okay? We don't only love them because we're commanded to. We also love them because they are made righteous in Christ. And the righteous love righteousness. We love the brethren. So tonight we've, we followed as John focused on, he's talking about love overall, but he focused tonight on the sort of the hatred of unbelievers toward righteousness in the example of Cain instead of loving righteousness. And next time we'll continue on this theme of love um, as John teaches about what true love looks like according to the example of Christ and how Christ um, showed love towards sinners such as us. Okay? So let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this night. We thank you um, for the words of scripture that, that we have, Lord, your word. And we thank you that we can know. Father, I pray you would help us to, to examine our own lives. I pray, Father, that we would not be deceived. I pray that when we find others that are deceived, that we would be willing to share the truth of your word with them so that they can, uh, by your grace, Father, be removed from deception, have the deception removed, have their, their eyes opened to the truth of their sinfulness, their, their condemnation before you, the fact that your wrath abides on them. But Father, the good news of the gospel is that Christ came while we were yet sinners and died on the cross in our place atoning for our sins and you have made the way possible through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in his work in his righteous life lived that we couldn't and that by faith in him we receive his righteousness as he takes our ugly unrighteousness on himself and bears your wrath father there is no other gift there is no other example of love greater than that love shown by Christ. I pray that we would understand that more and more as we read your word and understand um, our Savior more and more, and that <clears throat> that would result in a higher view of you, a higher view of your word, of greater praise and worship of you, Father. May we always come to you in, in acceptable worship and not in what's false. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We praise you. May our lives in word and deed bring honor and glory to you because you are the only one worthy of it, Father. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.